Penn State and Northwestern face off against each other at noon Eastern time this Saturday. Both are coming off of big wins at home. They're different kinds of wins, but big wins nonetheless. Let's start with Penn State. Penn State came off of a 31-0 shutout over Iowa, a game which totally had a revenge angle to it, as Penn State went into Kinnick Stadium in 2021, and they blossomed a 17-3 lead, only to choke it away due to multiple injuries and Iowa's toughness in the second half. Penn State enforcing over 400 yards on Iowa's defense, carving them up ever so slowly, not averaging more than 5 yards per pass attempt or 4 yards per rush attempt. The Nittany Lions scored 4 touchdowns, kicked a field goal, forced 6 fumbles, and recovered 4 of them from Iowa. They held the Hawkeyes to under 100 offensive yards. Cade McNamara struggled to complete a third of his passes, and he was sacked three or four times. It was an utterly dominating performance. It's why Penn State right now is in my top five, because I don't care if Iowa isn't that good, much like they were last year. Iowa has a good defense. Kirk Ferentz typically has a game plan when meeting these top opponents, and Penn State just dominated from start to finish. So you got to give credit where it's due. They're coming off of a big win at home in their whiteout game. And now, if you're Penn State, focus ultimately shifts to Ohio State. But before we talk about that, I do want to discuss Northwestern. Northwestern, I still cannot believe this happened. They completed one of the greater comebacks in Big Ten football in recent memory. They were down 31 to nothing with a little over 12 minutes left in the game. Northwestern, the Wildcats, or as I called them in the preseason and just probably a week or two ago, the Mildcats. Their head coach was fired due to a hazing scandal and an investigation where even though he couldn't have been directly tied to the hazing, the university, after reports were leaked by Northwestern's journalism school, I believe that's how it all happened. Pretty sure, but if I miss details, comment down below. The university reacted, I would say, hastily, and they fired Pat Fitzgerald. That was devastating. The players tried to rally around Fitzgerald, and many other former players defended him, while others came forward and said... You know, they shared their side of the story as, you know, victims of hazing. That was a mess. And I, I say the whole story about that in this video to just describe that Northwestern is weighed down by externalities and their football program was already garbage. Minnesota, on the other hand, solid culture. There were allegations released about PJ Fleck this summer, but those have happened before and Nothing has come about from them. Rock-solid culture, a team that is known for physical toughness, for dominating time of possession, and for typically not losing to these smaller opponents. The, the first time that P.J. Fleck lost a non-conference game at Minnesota, I believe was 2021 against Bowling Green. I think that was the only time he lost a non-conference game at Minnesota against, you know, a smaller school. 
and he typically does a good job of beating teams that are not at his talent level. Northwestern went on a 21-0 scoring run in the fourth quarter where Minnesota's defense made Ben Bryant look like Tom Brady. Northwestern comes back. They beat Minnesota in overtime due to P.J. Fleck and Greg Harbaugh and Matt Simon calling a very conservative game, one that might have gotten Darius Taylor, their best running back, injured. And the Wildcats move on to 2-2, two and 1-1 two, one and one in conference. They've already doubled their win total from last year. And all I have to say is hats off to David Braun. You know, Nor- Northwestern, as I mentioned earlier, they're down. They're demoralized. They lost their head coach that has been there since the early 2000s. You know, total total shock. Um, it just really amazing that Northwestern was able to come back. And they had nearly 500 total yards, 25 first downs. They had 29 minutes and 50 seconds of possession. They only had one turnover. And Ben Bryant threw for four touchdowns, 396 yards. Uh, it was just, it was a good game. Good effort. It showed a lot of emotion and energy and pride from the Northwestern Wildcats to come back. So because of that comeback, at least for now, I'm not going to be calling them the Mildcats. Though this game is one where Penn State will probably make Northwestern look mild, if not worse. That's the likely outcome here. Penn State, in my mind, is the fifth best team in the country. They're a top 10 team nearly unanimously by anyone who, you know, knows about college football and who studies the sport and who's engaged in it. And Northwestern, as good as their win was over Minnesota, we all know from watching them against Duke, watching them against Rutgers, where, you know, Rutgers held them to seven points. Uh, Minnesota obviously allowed 37 points. And Minnesota's defense is typically good. So there's questions about, you know, Minnesota's defense. But also, I think Rutgers' defense is a lot better than people are giving them credit for, especially since Duke with Mike Elko, very solid defense, and Northwestern was able to put up 17 points on them. I know it took them, you know, the full four quarters to do so, and some of it was in garbage time. But nonetheless, I think Rutgers is a much improved Big Ten team, but this is not a Rutgers video. It's highly unlikely that Northwestern is going to be able to overcome the obstacle, the massive obstacle set before them that is Penn State. They thankfully get Ryan Field. They're at home. They're not traveling to Beaver Stadium. Though last year, Penn State traveled to Beaver Stadium, only lost 17-7. to But there was very tough weather that went in favor of the Wildcats. That was the first of two times that happened for Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald's squad in 2022 was against Penn State and against Ohio State. There was severe weather. And by severe, I don't mean, you know, thunderstorms or hail, but heavy rain in Beaver Stadium, which caused Penn State to constantly fumble the ball and turn it over. And against Ohio State, there were high winds. Both of those severe weather factors impacted the game in favor of the Wildcats, who could not pass the ball to save their life and who were already a bad football team. So it just brought Penn State and Ohio State in those games somewhat down to Northwestern's level. Um, That's not going to be the case here. 
looking at ESPN on the weather report, it's supposed to be 66 degrees and partly cloudy. So there will be no heavy rain or heavy wind from what I know. Of course, this is well in advance and forecasting oftentimes is wrong, but it's the most accurate thing we have. Penn State is also better this year than they were last year. And Northwestern, even though they did get an upset win over Minnesota, it's difficult to tell where they are in standings compared to last year. So far, it looks like they have a better team. They're 2-2. Two and two. They're 72nd in FPI, which was higher than they were last season. But Penn State's 4-0. and oh. They're 4th. Penn State is... Let me repeat that for you. Penn State is 4th in FPI. That's unbelievable. A- according to FPI... They would be favored to beat Georgia on a neutral field. I think that's too far, but then again, I have them at fifth. I very much think Penn State could move into that top four. I just want to see how they play against Ohio State first. And since Penn State's favored by 27 points, they're given a 93.4% chance to win. And even though Northwestern, they have some, you know, satisfaction from beating Minnesota, they're going to be hungry for more. They're going to be motivated. They have they have belief in themselves, and that's a very powerful. It's a very powerful thing to have, is belief. I think Penn State's the much better team, and I'm going to talk about this game, you know, more throughout this video. But I also want to spend this video talking about from Penn State's perspective, what they need to do against Northwestern, also against UMass, but in this matchup and other matchups. Let's be realistic. Penn State's going to be favored. We've seen James Franklin against Illinois, for example, blow games that he shouldn't. But more likely than not, Penn State's going to go into Ohio Stadium undefeated. Ohio State has a bye this week. If you're Penn State, you have to be looking toward that game against Ohio State, not overlooking Northwestern. Um, That's very dangerous. I think Minnesota choking that lead has already given James Franklin and Mike Yurcich and Manny Diaz enough material to where they will not overlook Northwestern because that's what Minnesota did. They took their foot off the gas. They thought with the 21-point lead they would be safe. They called a super conservative game, and it blew up. It literally blew up right in P.J. Fleck's face like someone taking a nice pie with whipped cream and just you know smacking P.J. Fleck with it. I'm very angry at Minnesota for, you know, it's only week five, and my opinion of Minnesota and my prediction for Minnesota being a top 20 team is already completely ruined unless they somehow redeem themselves, which with Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule and, you know, Wisconsin and other teams who look better than them, that will be very hard to do. But regardless, if you're Penn State, Ohio State right now has vulnerabilities, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense, in my mind, looks near elite. More likely than not, their defense is elite. They, offensively, have a quarterback who is not as good as C.J. Stroud yet, not as good as Justin Fields yet. He won't be athletic as Stroud or Fields, in my mind, ever. He's not a good scrambler. C.J. Stroud was at least an average to above average scrambler when he wanted to run the football. And Justin Fields is a freak athlete. We know these things. Kyle McCord, he could improve. 
the odds are that Ohio State's offense will not be able to function the same as it has since Ryan Day came to Columbus, since he was their head coach and offensive coordinator. This team, from an offensive standpoint, and this isn't saying much because Ohio State has had elite offenses since 2018, this might be the worst offense Ryan Day has commanded. Not in terms of total talent, but in actual execution and scoring, this might be the worst offense he has had since 2018, or the worst offense that Ohio State has had since before the 2018 season. You know, 17. Ever since 17 stopped, 18 began. That's when the offense really took off. Really. Um, the defense is going to be one of the best under Ryan Day. The offense, there's still a lot to figure out. It could make that jump, and I think with Ryan Day at some point this season, the offense is destined to take off. But it could be before the Penn State game. The Penn State game could be the first time where you see the power of Ohio State's offense on full display, or it could be after the Penn State game. Regardless, the Nittany Lions have to fe- have, they have to be feeling good about their chances. They're elite everywhere on defense except defensive tackle. Offensively, they have a quarterback who has not turned over the football, and that's going to be critical against a near-elite or elite defense like Ohio State's that is going to take advantage of mistakes, and one that has already scored more than one, multiple defensive touchdowns on the year, and that has gotten critical stops in critical games like they did against Notre Dame, you know, stopping two fourth-down conversion attempts and also forcing a punt that gave Ohio State's offense a redemption opportunity on their final drive, which they took advantage of. If you're Penn State here in this matchup against Northwestern to set the stage, you either, now that Iowa and Illinois are you know, taken care of and, and body bagged, you begin to try new things again, experiment. I don't think you can do that against UMass because that's the week before Ohio State and they're a very tiny opponent. So you could totally run a vanilla playbook against them and beat them by 50. Here, maybe you can try some new things, experiment. There have been some struggles at different places. You know, defensive tackle, interior offensive line, though, that's looked better than in the you know first few weeks. And I think also running back. You know, Nicholas Singleton hasn't been averaging four yards per carry, and Katron Allen hasn't been explosive either, though for now he's been the better of the two running backs. So... You can do that. You can experiment, try new things. Um, you could even rest your starters. I know that James Franklin did that a few years ago against Rutgers, and they were basically tied at half, or Penn State was barely leading at half. I think it was 2019, or maybe another year. I think it was 2019. He rested his starters um, in the final game of the regular season to you know prepare for the bowl game. You could do that here. Penn State could play its starters. It would be a gamble. But they could play their starters until they get a 28-21 point lead and then put in all the backups. They've been doing a pretty good job of that. But in this game, maybe you do it earlier. Or maybe you just run a vanilla playbook and you don't want to show Ohio State anything that you potentially have up your sleeve. Um, Upside of that compared to experimentation is Ohio State knows less about your offense and defense. The downside is maybe you miss a few things about your roster you haven't quite seen yet. So I like Penn State's position here before the Ohio State game. I know that it's early, but Northwestern, 
and UMass, they're they're far inferior teams to Penn State. And and I've talked to I've talked about other teams in this way before as well. Um, like Ohio State, when they played Youngstown State and when they played Western Kentucky. You can't overlook anyone. But since Notre Dame is obviously the focus, what are you doing against Youngstown State and Western Kentucky to maximize your potential to beat Notre Dame? Penn State has this game at Northwestern, and then have a bye the week of October 7th, and then October 14th they play UMass. In my mind, you have three weeks starting now where you can't overlook anyone, but you can begin to think about Ohio State well in advance. And Penn State has an advantage here scheduling-wise compared to Ohio State because even though Ohio State has the home field advantage, the Buckeyes, on the other hand, they have Maryland. They have a bye this week, but then after the bye, they have Maryland. And then after Maryland, they have to travel on the road to Purdue, who isn't that good, but I think still better than Northwestern and UMass before returning home to Penn State. So the Nittany Lions have a lot of time to prepare and to think about their game plan for the Buckeyes. And they can plan for that here. They have 10 position advantages in my mind. Northwestern has no one at any position comparable to Penn State. Penn State is so much better than the Wildcats are. Not even close. The staff goes to Penn State. Quarterback, Penn State. Running back, wide receiver, tight end, all skill positions to Penn State. Trench play goes to Penn State. Linebacker, defensive back, including special teams. Penn State special teams had a very rough start to the season, but they found their way. They have, and that's what good teams do. Good teams find their way to win and to adapt. And Alex Falcons right now, um, he replaced Sander um, Sahaidek. I think that's how you pronounce his name, after Sahedek missed two field goal attempts against West Virginia. Field goal attempts that he should have made. But he missed them. Falcons came in to replace him and is 5 of 7 on field goal attempts. Uh, He's made 3 out of 3 from 20 to 29 yards, 2 out of 3 from 40 to 49 yards with a long of 46, and he missed one from over 50 yards. And then Riley Thompson has been a serviceable punter this season. So at special teams, Penn State has an advantage. I'm um, defensive back with guys like Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, Keaton Ellis. We don't have to go any further. Penn State right now is 11 passes defended, and they have five interceptions. Their leader in interceptions, tied for first, is Johnny Dixon, Abdul Carter, Cam Miller, Dominic DeLuca, and Daquan Hardy. Those are their leaders in picks. Um... Two are linebackers, DeLuca and Carter, and three are corners, Cam Miller, Daquan Hardy, and Johnny Dixon. Johnny Dixon being one of the best cornerbacks in the country. And also Dominic DeLuca has two forced fumbles. Kalen King is an even better cornerback, though, than Johnny Dixon. Even better. Um, Kalen King right now only has one pass defended, nine total tackles. He's not going to be targeted that much just because he's that good and he has that reputation. For example, he, at times, in 2022, was step-in-step with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka. He's that good of a cornerback. Um, So secondary, obviously, goes to Penn State. Linebacker with Abdul Carter. He's All-American caliber. 
Um, Northwestern has a good linebacker in Bryce Gallagher. 6'2", 235 pounds senior. He has 14 solo tackles on the season with an interception. And he already has 44. 44 total tackles. He had 19 of them against Rutgers and 13 of them against Duke. Definitely a leader on the defense. But I would take Abdul Carter over him any day. Abdul Carter on the season right now has a sack, a pick, 11 total tackles. And last year, he was a true freshman. And he had a phenomenal true freshman season with six and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, four passes defended, and 56 total tackles. Great linebacker, definitely all Big Ten caliber of player. On the defensive line, Penn State is Chop Robinson. They have Adisa Isaac. They have Donnie Dennis Sutton. Um, Zariah Fisher and Koziah Izzard. Um, Izzard being a defensive tackle. He has two sacks, and then Fisher and Isaac have one and a half sacks each. Penn State knows how to get after the quarterback. That's what Manny Diaz um, defenses do. At stopping the run, it's a different story. They're better than they were last year, but I still think there are some struggles there, especially on the interior. But Penn State's defensive tackles and defensive ends are both better than Northwestern's defensive tackles and defensive ends. For Northwestern, after Pete Skaronsky left um, last season, their offensive line has continued to be bad because one good player on the O-line doesn't make the O-line good. Just ask Taylor Lewan at Michigan when he played with a bad Brady Hoke offensive line. Penn State, they have one near elite to elite offensive tackle, college level. He's the number one offensive tackle prospect in the nation in Olu Fashanu. They have Hunter Norzad at center, and they have some other players on the offensive line who are solid. Um, Penn State's O-line, this is never going to be the team's strength, at least for this year, um, but it's one of the better offensive lines, if not the best offensive line that James Franklin has had. So far, they've only allowed two sacks to Drew Aller, and that's facing defenses in you know Iowa's and also Illinois that have players like Jerzon Newton, um, Deontay Craig, for example, and Joe Evans. Great, too, in the case of Jerzon Newton, elite defensive line player. So the offensive line's impressive. At tight end and wide receiver, wide receiver, I think, in this game would actually be close. A Penn State does not have, outside of Lambert Smith, a wide receiver who I would even classify as better than good or even better than above average. Keandre Lambert Smith has 286 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns. Uh, Harrison Wallace, the third, is the team's second leader in receiving yards. He doesn't even have 100. He has 98 receiving yards on 10 receptions, no receiving touchdowns. Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson. Uh, Warren has 90 receiving yards. Johnson has 88. Warren has four receiving touchdowns, and Johnson has none. The receiving room for Penn State is not their, it's not their strong suit. It just isn't. And I know that they faced a good defense in Iowa. Illinois' defense simply just has good defensive linemen. Their linebacker room and their secondary are suspect. It's just facts, and then their offensive line doesn't help them in any way by constantly, um, I think I said offensive line, but I meant to say offense for Illinois doesn't help them by constantly turning over the football, and Penn State's defense took advantage of that. So there are some concerns for Penn State at wide receiver. Um, tight end, I don't think there's a problem there. I just think against Illinois and Iowa, 
Penn State couldn't get explosive in the passing game, so that's why some of the numbers for the tight ends aren't as high as I think they should be. Northwestern, on the other hand, has four receivers, one of them even being a running back, that have 100 receiving yards or more. Bryce Kurtz, Cam Johnson, Joseph Himmon II, and A.J. Henning. Henning and Kurtz have two receiving touchdowns each. Henning has 111 receiving yards, and Kurtz has 274. Kurtz gained the great majority of his receiving yards against Minnesota, where he had 215 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns in a huge comeback win. At tight end, Thomas Gordon, Charlie Man- Mangiri, and Marshall Lang are some names to look out for as well. So for receiving, Northwestern is closest to Penn State for tight end and wide receiver in any facet of the game that involves receiving the ball. Again, wide receiver, tight end, and also catching the ball out of the backfield at running back. But rushing the ball, Penn State's way better. At quarterback, we don't even really have to talk about quarterback. Ben Bryan is 804 passing yards and a 119.4 passer rating. He's struggling to complete close to 60% of his passes. Meanwhile, Drew Aller, he has 903 passing yards, eight passing touchdowns, no interceptions. Penn State is just the better team all around. And you have to think that Penn State, they probably could come out and dominate, but maybe they don't care as much about style points in this game as they did against, let's say, Delaware or West Virginia. And the same will probably be true against UMass. you got to be wondering maybe if this game turns out to be um, more dominant than the score indicates. Like maybe Penn State wins this game 35-10 to 10 or 28-7. to 7. And in reality, it's much more dominant and Penn State looks more impressive than that. But they run the ball. They make sure to take off anywhere from 30 to 35 seconds before snapping it for every play on average. And they just take as many possessions away from Northwestern, play a vanilla playbook, and that's just telling you that they're preparing for Ohio State. Doesn't make them any worse of a team than they are if they play in that way. Now, if they come out and it's 28-7 or 28-10, and they're not running a vanilla playbook or they're not chewing clock, then there might be legitimate issues. But that's beside the point. I think some players to watch in this game are running back Katron Allen and also Cam Porter, um, the the main running backs for both of these teams right now. Katron Allen. Allen leads Penn State currently in rushing carries with 63 and rushing yards with 280. He has two rushing touchdowns. Singleton currently has five. They like to give Singleton the ball in the red zone. Penn State has not had a rush of longer than 20 yards by any of their two starting running backs, that being Allen and Singleton. And outside of Trey Potts and Bo Pribula, the backup quarterback and third-string running back, Penn State overall hasn't had a rush of longer than 19 yards. They haven't had a big play on the ground yet. Um, I say look out for Catron Allen because Nicholas Singleton, I would predict to have a long run here, but I just don't know. With him and Edwards, Donovan Edwards from Michigan, I've given them benefit of the doubt, but I need to see them at this point just, you know, perform in order for me to believe it. And against an opponent like Northwestern and also UMass, you're not going to break a sweat trying to get Nicholas Singleton in a big play. Catron Allen likely will get a large amount of carries in this game just because he's a pace setter and a bruising back. I expect him to have potentially over you know what? Screw it. He's going to have 100 rushing yards in this game. 
I think so. You know, around there. I think that probably he'll get four, five, maybe a little over five yards per carry. He'll really be a pace setter, bruising back type. Um, will always be reliable and be able to move the chains for Penn State. In a game where I don't know if they're going to be interested, uninterested, we'll just have to see. You can probably already tell where I'm going with this game, by the way. Um, we'll get to the predictions here in, in, a, in a minute or two. For Cam Porter and Northwestern, Cam Porter so far on the season has 203 rushing yards on 49 carries. He's averaging 4.1 yards per carry with one rushing touchdown. He has 49 receiving yards through the air. If Northwestern wants to pull off an upset, and look, it's possible. Upsets are always possible, and they pulled one off against Minnesota and Penn State. We all remember the nine-overtime game against Illinois. If Penn State is disinterested enough in this game, and if they are looking far enough ahead to Ohio State, they could lose this game, depending on what things happen. But it's going to be very hard to do. And if Penn State, if they have any chance of losing here, and if Northwestern wants to exploit it, and I'm speaking that way because I'm doubtful, I almost feel uncomfortable talking about it because I just think Penn State's so good. They're so much better than Minnesota. But Northwestern will need to run the football, and they will need to limit Penn State's possessions and rest their defense. And Ben Bryant, maybe maybe he somehow can get some big throws against this defense, but this defense's strength is rushing the passer, and Ben Bryant's already been sacked 10 times. He doesn't have a good O-line, and Penn State also has some of the best defensive backs and linebackers in all of college football. If you're going to beat the Nittany Lions, you have to run on them. You have to. Whether that's consistent, whether that's, you know, they consistently beat you on the ground, but eventually you find a few big plays and you get through, you have to run the football on Penn State with some success, at least an above-average rushing performance if you want to beat Penn State. And with the state of Northwestern football, I think they would have to have a pretty amazing performance on the ground and on offense and on defense. They'd have to perform at an A-plus level, play their best game of the whole season, and at the same time, Penn State would also have to play one of their worst games of the season for Northwestern to win this game, and I don't think that happens. Penn State will win. Penn State will cover. A 27-point spread is huge. Penn State, in these kind of games, and with the way that James Franklin loves to run his spread, um, they love to dominate. They do, even if they're not the most interested necessarily. And Northwestern does not have the talent or the horses to keep up with Penn State. It could be close for a half. I say could, though. I'm not going to predict that it will be. I think that Porter will have 50 or more rushing yards. He'll have maybe a, a few carries where he, you know, halves his team's distance to a first down, um, but not much more than that. The Wildcats will try hard, but Penn State will just humiliate them. And the Nittany Lions will put up 400 or more yards. They'll force two or more turnovers. And they'll already be preparing for Ohio State in this game. And I think that may not be evident or obvious, but I think that we can all get the sense that Penn State, look, Michigan and Ohio State, in, from my perspective, beg you, um, because I may not be right. I was wrong about Minnesota, wrong about Michigan State. I was wrong about picking Alabama to beat Texas. I've been wrong about a lot of things, just like a lot of other college football people have this season. Um, but regardless, 
I think Ohio State and especially Michigan right now are ahead of Penn State. But Penn State's closing the gap. Penn State is closer to being at the level that the Buckeyes and Wolverines are than I thought they were in the preseason. Penn State is built to beat Ohio State. They are not built to beat Michigan. Michigan, even with some of their struggles right now on O-line, I mean, just look at their power O-line in some of these games. Their offensive line will still be standing after starting five yards from the end zone. They have that They have that powerful of a push for power smash-mouth football. They haven't been as good at opening up the holes against defensive lines like they were last year, which helped them gash Penn State, and their pass protection hasn't been as good. But to compensate for that, their defense looks like the number ones, the number one defense in the country. They have a much better wide receiver core, a better tight end room, and J.J. McCarthy looks like a quarterback who can win games on his own, at least for now. We'll have to see. And Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are still there. Kalel Mullings looks like a good, you know, third option at running back. And I've already mentioned the offensive line. And also the defensive tackle room with Chris Jenkins. Mason Graham will likely be healthy by the time Michigan plays Penn State. Michigan's all about interior trench play. That matches up very well with a Penn State team whose weakness, by definition, is interior trench play. For Ohio State, it's different. They have strong interior trench play as well, but they have other weaknesses and I think more holes than Michigan does that Penn State can more easily exploit. Michigan has some concerns at tackle, but they have better depth than Ohio State, and their tackles so far this season have played much better. Um, You can't say that for Ohio State. Penn State has an obvious advantage with their defensive ends to Ohio State's offensive tackles. And I think Michigan's interior offensive line is better than Ohio State's interior offensive line. And one more thing as well, Kyle McCord right now looks like a quarterback who isn't as good as Drew Aller or as J.J. McCarthy. He doesn't have the same scrambling and escape capabilities that those two do. Um, He isn't as accurate. He's more mistake-prone. And I know McCarthy looked bad against Bowling Green, but outside of that one game where he obviously was forcing picks, he's looked more accurate and more poised than Kyle McCord has. And I think Michigan, frankly, is the better defense than Ohio State. Um, All this to say that Penn State schematically and from a roster standpoint matches up much better with Ohio State than they do Michigan. And they also know that they can beat Michigan. They've done it more than they've beaten Ohio State. And they have Michigan at home. They have to go on the road and beat Ohio State. James Franklin has never done that. And if you don't count the 2011 Luke Fickle season, the last time Penn State went into Ohio Stadium and beat them, I think was 2007. It's been quite some time since Penn State went into Columbus and won. So I bet you Penn State will be already preparing for the Ohio State Buckeyes. 45-10 to 10 is my final prediction in favor of Penn State. Thank you to my Patreon supporters for sponsoring me and supporting me and this channel. Please subscribe if you haven't already so we can hit 20,000 followers and subscribers by the end of the college football season. Like this video, comment your thoughts down below, and tell me what you think about not just where Penn State lands in the Big Ten's hierarchy, but also how you think that they will approach Northwestern the bye week in UMass and what do you think they'll do in those games and how do you think 
they'll prepare for Ohio State? And lastly, what's the one area they need to work on in order to maximize their chance of beating the Buckeyes and also the Wolverines? Um, thanks to Spencer Bringhurst, Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale for supporting this channel. Thank you guys for watching, and I'll see you all later. Bye-bye.